The Las Vegas Raiders have partnered with the global lifestyle app TrueConnect to give the gift of wellness. Transform your mind, body, and soul through thousands of hours of premium fitness content, guided meditations, progress tracking, and more. Visit tcfree.fit to redeem one free year of TrueConnect exclusively for Raider Nation. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With multi-gig speeds now available, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. Limited availability in select areas. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. You're listening to the Raiders NFL Draft Podcast. Here are your hosts, Bucky Brooks and Rhett Lewis. The bright lights of Las Vegas, home to the Raiders and Raider Nation, now home to the NFL community at large. Super Bowl week is upon us at Allegiant Stadium. We'll take center stage in just a matter of days as we welcome you to episode two of this 2024 edition of the Raiders NFL Draft Podcast. What's up, crew? Back with you, Rhett Lewis, Bucky Brooks, uh, as we, yeah, we do take into account what's going on inside Allegiant Stadium. And uh, we'll paint that with a Raiders brush, uh, Buck, as we assess, you know, how the Chiefs and 49ers have gotten to the pinnacle of their respective conferences and how they plan to stay on top and, uh, you know, how you look to to model certain things after success in this league. So we're excited to get to that with you. Excited to talk about our shared all-star game experiences at the Shrine Bowl and what we saw down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. But man, we got to kick this thing off. We got a new OC in the house. Yeah, no, look, it, 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 it's great. Um, things are coming together really, really nicely for the Raiders under Antonio Pierce. He's beginning to put his own uh, personal touch on this coaching staff. And so Luke Getz, he comes over from the Chicago Bears. Uh, he comes with, a, look, ton of experience, a winning pedigree, having spent time in Green Bay before he took the job at Chicago. And look, man, I think it's a, it's a nice fit. When you heard AP talk about one of the reasons why he liked guests is because he said, look, man, they kicked our tail um, uh, when he was at the controls. Um, I think what this does is, though, it really kind of ties the stars together. You think about Devontae Adams, the relationship that guess he has previously Great with point. Adams. You think about how important it is for your stars to be aligned. And this game is about players making plays. And those relationships between the play caller and the playmakers are vital. And guess he's relationship with Devontae Adams certainly will help him build out this offense with Adams really viewed as a big piece of the offensive puzzle. And then you kind of go from there. Yeah. Lynchpin, you know, truly um, as, as you assess, you know, what the, what the Raiders, you know, want to be, what they want this thing to look like. And, you know, you hear AP talk about grit, talk about, you know, the way he can assess body language, assess the way that guys entered the building, the way that they work, the, the mm-hmm. connections that he's formed uh, in his time as the linebacker coach that are now helping him kind of forge this group together uh, as head coach and to find the right coaches that fit what's already on the roster and what's still to come. So I do think that, looking at the Luke Getze hiring and, you know, what we've seen in his past, you know, might help us uh, paint a, a picture that's maybe a bit more clear, at least from the, the offensive side of things in terms of, you know, where uh, the Bears went the last two years and where the Packers went, you know, during his time uh, there, which was, uh, you know, 
briefly interluded with a stop, a, a stop down in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, as offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Um, but I, I, and I and I'll start with going back to the Bears, right? Because you look at play style, you know, Justin Fields, you know, is, is pretty unique, right? When we talk about mm-hmm. quarterbacks and the way that he wants to play and the way that Luke Getze initially and and at the end tailored that offense to accentuate what Justin Fields did well. I don't necessarily know that 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 jives with the way in which he came up in the business, you know, thinking about his mm-hmm. NFL ties with the the Shanahan system yeah. influences, you know, with uh, with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay um, and then getting to run his own show in Chicago. And you wonder, you know, how much different this Raiders unit will look like based on the type of quarterback that they end up rolling out as a starter week one. Um, because Aiden O'Connell, if he's the guy, is very different than Justin Fields, right? And so I'm really curious to see, you know, where those influences come together and how, you know, Luke Getze ends up putting this thing together, at least from the quarterback spot, because we know that there are QBs certainly available for the Raiders uh, to take in, in the first round of this draft. One of the things that's probably that was really attractive to the Raiders has been Getze's experience working with young quarterbacks. Um, everyone would point to the Justin Fields experiment and you know how he had to kind of tweak and revamp some of the things that maybe he wanted to do to accommodate the young player and so that experience certainly is something that he will be able to kind of use going forward when it comes to Aiden O'Connor or any young young quarterback but also it's important to remember the time that he spent with the Green Bay Packers and how he to eventually become the player that he became his first year as a starter remember he sat on the bench for three years uh had to do a lot of extra things in practice and in preseason to get himself ready before he had the opportunity to play in games in his fourth year uh maybe some of that foundational work where gets he form a plan for o'connell or whoever the next quarterback may be a young quarterback that comes in because in this league it's just so important that you have a developmental plan to get young quarterbacks ready to play and ready to play well when they have the opportunity gets his experience in chicago and in Green Bay will certainly help him when he comes uh, to Las Vegas. Yeah, and and again, we we mentioned this on our season debut episode uh, last time out. You know about the options at thirteen could very well see a run on quarterbacks in that row. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got the Jets at ten, you got the Vikings at eleven, Broncos at twelve, Raiders sitting at thirteen, with the Saints behind them at fourteen. Um, and you know, if you're talking about quarterbacks that have a little bit of that mobile profile, mm-hmm. which Jordan Love certainly does. Aiden O'Connell certainly does. Look, you're you're again, you're getting into that Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy type discussion because by all accounts, we do expect Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels in some order to be uh, off the board by the time the Raiders come on the clock at 13. Unless, of course, you know, some kind of crazy drama props up and we get we get trades at the top, you know, kind of the way we saw last year with the Panthers vaulting up from number nine uh, to that bear spot uh, at number one. Bears, of course, uh, back in the saddle at number one because of the Panthers this year. Yeah, but that's so the story let, for that. yeah. So let's let's talk about that and in in terms of thinking about what the Raiders could be just contemplating over the next few months when it right. comes to the quarterback position. One, uh, if everyone if Chicago does what everyone thinks they're doing, taking Caleb Williams, well, there's no one who will have more intel on the quarterback that they could jettison than Luke Getzey. So depending yeah. upon his opinion on Justin Fields could impact the way the Raiders attack the quarterback position, whether he likes him or doesn't like him. He is going to be able to give all that information, whether it comes to making a deal, 
with the Bears to potentially take Justin Fields or bypassing Fields and understanding yeah. why you want to bypass at the position. The other thing that you have to understand, we'll talk about Getsy and Antonio Pierce, but Tom Telesco's success drafting a quarterback and Justin Herbert. Well, when you think about Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert was a like a four-year player, didn't come out early, stayed, had a lot of game experience. Uh, he was one who played more like a managerial type in college Easy. before he was really unleashed as a pro. And I know people don't like yeah. that, but look, it was a very conservative approach that the Oregon right. Ducks used with him until we saw him in the uh, Pac-12 title game and in the Rose Bowl kind of play a little differently uh, in terms of utilizing his legs and all of that stuff. Good point. Well, maybe Tom Telesco is able, able to evaluate the position a little differently and look at some of the traits. We just used the two names, Bo Nix and J.J. McCarthy. So in Bo Nix, a very experienced player who is athletic, who has arm talent, very mature at the position, kind of has it because he's been a, a five-year player in college. Look, man, he seems like he's ready to be in charge of a room. You put him in that quarterback room, and maybe you have a guy that could play fairly early. And J.J. McCarthy, maybe it's a bit of a projection, right? It's a projection in terms of, what, 27-1 and one as a starter at Michigan. Incredible uh, wins, one of, yeah. Yeah. Won, won a lot of games. Now, people will point to, yeah, but he didn't throw it enough. It was it was a team that ran it and those things. Yeah, that, that's true. All those things are valid. But you also deserve credit for being able to drive the car into the winner's circle. And he did that at Michigan. And because he has maybe limited experience when it comes to reps and throwing, maybe Tom Telesco can sit with Luke Gessie and talk about, well, what would be the plan if we took him? Could we play with Aiden O'Connell for a year or so? And then J.J. McCarthy takes his time to develop. Are they all these different scenarios? And so I just think it's, it's, it's a good thing to have a think tank that has success developing quarterbacks to be able to explore all the, the various paths that you can go down when it comes yeah. to quarterback before you have to make a decision in the offseason. I think those are all, uh, you know, really insightful uh, points of context to think about here as you evaluate all the potential options, right? That are surrounding, you know, the quarterbacks. Is you know, we talk about trade. Is that is that potentially available with Justin Fields? You know, it feels like something we may not know a bit more until we get a little bit closer to this process. And and the Bears have had a chance to do the the full evaluation on all the quarterbacks as we get, you know, combine and pro day in the rear view and start to see some of that stuff really heating up. Um, and you know, and, and then thinking. You know, with your Justin Herbert, um, you know, callback from Tom Telesco's days evaluating him uh, when Tom was, you know, making selections for the L.A. Chargers. I, there's actually some congruencies there with McCarthy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we've seen, you know, some of that mobility and they're obviously different um, players in terms of size and stature. But yeah, you, you do wonder, like, is there more to the McCarthy resume than we just didn't get a chance to see uh, on the on the collegiate level, which, which again, kind of coming back full circle to your point about Aiden O'Connell makes him a, a very valuable resource if a, if a player like McCarthy is the pick because it gives you flexibility and it gives you a little bit of time and cushion uh, to feel good about taking a player like that, not forcing him right into the lineup if, you know, that he's not ready. So, and, and as we continue on quarterbacks, um, that, that's kind of where I wanted to start based on our shared experience at the Shrine mm -hmm. Bowl, because we got a chance to know, you know, some real name brand quarterbacks 
uh, from the collegiate level over the course of the last five, six years. Uh, Jack Plummer was in the game, you know, played at, uh, at, at a couple of different locations, finished his career at Louisville. Big, tall, Joe Flacco type, big arm. Uh, didn't get to see a ton of him, I uh, feel like, in this game. Uh, Devin Leary, player who started at mm-hmm. NC State, finished at Kentucky, got some good arm talent. Uh, there's there's some wild card to Austin Reed uh, in his game at Western Kentucky. Um, but the, the one that really stood out to me was Talia Tonga-Vailoa. And if we're talking about name brands, obviously his brother, Tua, down in Miami, um, obviously comes to mind. And they both worked with Mike Loxley, uh, mm-hmm. Tua down at Alabama. And then when Talia transferred from Bama to Maryland, of course, went to join Mike Loxley, who's the head coach there at Turf Football. I don't know what my opinion in terms mm-hmm. of Talia was, you know, being a draftable quarterback. But I feel pretty confident in saying, based off his experience and based off his tape and ability and and an ability to shine in a big setting like we saw on Thursday night uh, in the Shrine Bowl this last week, this is a draftable dude. And and a guy that I think mm-hmm. could really give an offensive coordinator some flexibility and, and some fun in trying to figure out how to use a player like that. Yeah, I absolutely think he will give uh, an offense coordinator uh, plenty of creative options to utilize in the playbook. Yeah. Um, in talking to Mike Loxie, uh, he he talked about just how he was an assassin in the pocket, does a great job. You know, he talked about the coaches kind of dubbing him an RPO savant in terms right. of how quickly he's able to execute those play fakes and reads and get the ball out of his hands and those things. I thought the insight that Steve Sarkeesian gave when we were in the booth while watching that's right. Talia play and, and, and his experience at Alabama. He just kind of talked about how he was so good with his hands and having those what we call middle infielder hands from baseball in terms of being able to turn two and how quickly he can take snaps in exchange and get the ball uh, in and out and get it to the playmakers. All of that is valuable. The other thing that will help him, the bloodlines, the fact that his brother has been a successful quarterback in the league is going to make it where – uh, a team, a decision maker will say maybe quarterback is the family business and maybe Talia can figure it out as a developmental prospect. There's a lot to like about his game. There's a lot to like about how he performed uh, in Frisco at the star in that all-star game, the athleticism, the playmaking ability, and just the juice that he brought. Uh, he is certainly worthy of consideration as a, a day three pick. And then you just kind of throw him in because of late we've seen some of these guys de- drafted in day three. I mean, just think about, the last few years, like Sean Clifford and and, and DTR, Dura Thompson Robinson and, and Brock Purdy and some of these other guys that have had opportunities to get drafted and play, uh, they find their way into the rotation. And sometimes they find their way into the field. Tagovailoa could be one of those guys. Yeah, I, I would agree. And the other one that obviously stood out, especially from a name brand you know, perspective on the offensive side was Frank Gore Jr. Yes, son of 16,000-yard mm-hmm. career rusher Frank Gore, um, you know, who – spent the bulk of his career with the San Francisco 49ers, then bounced around uh, mm-hmm. a bunch uh, in his final years and just put up uh, immensely consistent production uh, from his time there. And Frank, you know, junior looks a lot like senior. And uh, now he's yes. actually a little bit smaller, yes. but the, all the similarities, like even to the way they run, like they were talking about what even his inside zone footwork, right. And getting technical with some football there. Like it's, it's the exact same. And boy, I tell you what, I, that's not a bad thing to be compared to. 
Not a bad thing to be compared to. When you think about your dad uh, being a guy that played for 16 years in the league, had over 16,000 rushing yards, is one of the best running backs that we've seen in NFL history. Just the knowledge that you you will be able to take from that. Not saying that uh, Frank Gore Jr. will be the player that Senior was, but it certainly helps to have that intel. It helps to have those genes and bloodlines working in your favor. And then when you got a chance to see him play, I would say this, the East-West Shrine game was a, Shrine Bowl was a, was a big stage, big stage opportunity. Right out yeah. of the gate, he made an impact. You know, and people are talking about the top end speed and those things. But we are seeing in this lead, it's not necessarily about being fast. It's about having great vision, good balance and body control, running through contact and finishing runs with violence. He can do all those things. That's why he has a chance to be a play. Yeah, you know, exactly right. And so, um, you know, when I think about, you know, other players that, you know, that really stood out, there was a number of guys, you know, the, the Murphy twins from UCLA rushing the passer, yes. right? If you're trying to find, you know, somebody maybe a, a little bit later on in the draft, that's not one of those, you know, very mm-hmm. super top tier edge rushers. And, you know, you want to bring in some, some sack production, Bucky, what, what do we always say about sack production? Oh, it translates in the national football league. It does. Regardless of level, right? doesn't matter where you get it, but you have consistent, uh, sack production over time, it does it. So the Murphy twins from UCLA certainly stand out. Muhammad Kamara from Colorado yeah. State will, will, will stand out. Uh, Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year who has a ton of sack production over his career. Uh, yeah, those guys are going to have a chance. And uh, we've seen it, like, coming from that game. We saw, what, Kobe Turner last year come from that yeah. game and, and have success. There are others that are going to pop and stand out. Uh, it's a great opportunity to look at some of these guys at All-Star Games. Yeah, no question. Uh, Gabriel, Grace, and Murphy combined for 42 and a half collegiate sacks in their careers. 21 and 21 and a half split between the two identical twins. Pretty special uh, right there. Um, And look, and talking about what our colleagues at NFL Network, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Mm -hmm. Davis uh, and company were able to to do and see and Andrew Siciliano at the Senior Bowl. There's plenty. There's gonna be plenty of that sack production there too. Latu Latu was one of those guys that I think uh, yes. we had a chance to talk to on the Senior Bowl roster reveal show. Stud technician, um, mm-hmm. which I, I assume would appeal very much to Patrick Graham and Antonio Pierce. But again, spent some real resources on pass rushers up at the top of the draft in recent years. With just last year, of course, with Tyree Wilson. So maybe that is something that comes a, a little bit later on to help fortify depth uh, in that in that scenario. You know, you, you're always trying to have uh, a bunch of different pass rushes because you want to attack the quarterback in waves. And uh, we saw this team really uh, blossom when they were able to get other contributions. Malcolm Coombs being able to yes, kind of make, came on nice, plays, came on nicely to uh, enhance and extenuate what Max Crosby has been able to do. But you can never have enough of those guys. And so you look for guys that can pop in that vein and you. Look, man, you, you never can have enough pass rushes, particularly in the division that the Raiders are in. When you think about the quarterbacks that you're going to have to face and what you're going to have to do with the, the offensive minds, uh, you got to be stout up front. You got to be able to get after not only stopping the run, but getting after the pass. Yeah, uh, great point. So it was a really fun all-star game season. Obviously, the next big moment on the draft calendar will come from Indianapolis in the scouting combine. Uh, so excited uh, to continue to look at the guys that are going to be you know, putting another piece of their resume together at that marquee event. Then we'll get into the pro days and, and we'll of course uh, keep you posted on all of those happenings right here on the Raiders NFL draft podcast. Uh, so Red Lewis, Bucky Brooks here with you as we transition to what's happening inside Allegiant stadium on super bowl Sunday chiefs 
Of course, division rivals here, uh, Raider Nation, uh, back in the Super Bowl, looking to repeat uh, after their victory a year ago. Uh, 49ers back in the Super Bowl after falling to the Chiefs just four Mm -hmm. years ago in Super Bowl 54. And look, I I do think because as you mentioned, you know, as we were plotting out this episode, it happens across the league. Mm -hmm. Look at the teams that were successful. What can you pick to say, hey, I like the way that they were able to find an edge here or find an edge. Mm -hmm. I think for our purposes, looking at what they've done in the draft is kind of intriguing because, you know, again, as you pointed out, Raiders beat the chiefs on Christmas day. So they're not that, not that far away. And looking at their, their model here, these last couple of years might be useful. Yeah. It might be useful because the, the, the number one thing, um, look, man, and, and, Tom Telesco believes in this. He learned it from Bill Polian, uh, having played in Buffalo uh, right after Bill Polian departed. The number one thing that you have to do is you got to build your team to win your division. Kansas City Chiefs are in the division. So how can you build a team that can knock, knock off the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, you got to have pass rushes because you need to deal with the quarterback. You have to have pass protection because you got to deal with what the Kansas City Chiefs can present up front with Chris Jones and George Kaloftis. So you got to be stout and sturdy at the point of attack. You got to be a line of scrimmage team. Uh, you got to have playmakers abound. And when you look at the, the Raiders, they certainly have playmakers on the perimeter. You think about Devontae Adams, uh, Jacoby Myers, even Hunter Renfro, he can make plays. Um, Michael Myra came on and made some plays. Running back is, look, it, it's there because you've seen Josh Jacobs, but look, it's Zemir White that, that takes over and does yeah. uh, the full load. But it's continuing to build your team with the Kansas City Chiefs in mind because at some point, you're either going to see them to, to win the division or to win the, the AFC title. You have to make sure that you have enough ammunition to go toe-to-toe. I think you certainly, if you're in the front office of the Raiders, you look at how they're constructed and you just want to make sure that you can go tit-for-tat with them in all of those roles. And then with the San Francisco 49ers, look, I mean, I think the theme is the same. You look at what the Niners have done in terms of investing in the front line, particularly on the defensive side. Uh, Years ago, it was about the number one picks that they did. Now, most recently, it's about free agency or using trades uh, to be able to do it. But the one thing that we can take from both of those teams that are participating in Super Bowl 58, you better be good at the line of scrimmage because that's the only way that you have an opportunity to do it. You got to be great on the defensive front um, and you want to be able to control the game uh, with the offensive line. Exactly. And just looking at recent drafts, you, you've kind of seen that come to fruition where the the Chiefs have spent high value resources on defensive linemen where, look, they're, they're hard to come by. Look at George Karloftis as one of the two uh, picks on defense back in that 22 draft. And Karloftis has become a mainstay uh, along that uh, that front rotating in and out for Steve Spagnolo. And we didn't see a lot of Felix uh, and Yudike Uzama this year, but again, a depth piece that they'll hope develops you know into one of those type of, of players moving forward. But then you go back to what they've done you know up front on the offensive line outside of day one. Let's Mm -hmm. just go back uh, just last year. Wanye Morris uh, from Oklahoma was a guy who came in and provided some some valuable, uh, you know, spot starts for this team at times uh, from the tackle spot. Uh, You look at what, um, you know, going all the way back to Creed Humphrey in 2021, it became one of the best centers in the league as a day two pick as a second round pick. Uh, And then just in that same draft, Trey Smith, you know, was a sixth round pick. So finding you know, starters uh, across your in, in trying to put your best five out there on the field in front of your quarterback and in front of your running backs, they can be found 
outside of day one. But this year is a pretty good year to find a high-level player uh, on the first night of the draft, as we expect some seven or, or maybe even eight offensive linemen and tackles to go in the first 32 picks. Yeah, so when you look at the, the Raiders' depth chart, because we about the offensive and defensive lines, uh, right. look, there are going to be some holes there. When you just think about uh, Dylan Parham and, and, and Colton Miller being the only guys that are kind of locked in on the contract for the right. next couple of years. Andre James, you fill Luminor, yeah, free agents. Yeah, you got you to fill those, fill those gaps in at a point of attack. The great thing about this year's draft class is there are plenty of, oppor- plenty of opportunities to fortify the offensive line. We can talk about a great – I mean, look, I think it's a pretty uh, outstanding tackle class Yes. At offensive tackle, where you can get some guys that can come in and feel right away. I think it's also really solid interior um, when it comes to the center, like center and offensive guard. So they'll be able to um, plug in, play with some of these guys at the top of the board if they uh, choose to attack the offensive line. And then when you think about the defensive line, John Jenkins, Bilal Nichols, guys that could uh, depart via free agency. Well, now um, this class has some intriguing options on the inside where you can go and get a, a hammer and, and kind of build it from inside out and really get after it. So the draft actually aligns where it's, it's strong is the positions where the Raiders could be very, very interested in fortifying their team. Yeah, no question. And it just uh, it popped into my mind because you brought up the interior on both sides. You know, Christian Boyd was another standout from the Shrine Bowl just to bring the, the conversation, you know, full circle, bigger body, right, that might be able to kind of anchor down uh, in the middle of a defensive line. And then on the flip side, if you're talking about the interior, since, you know, we're talking about Andre James, you know, as a, a young center in the league, it's going to be an unrestricted free agent you know, coming up here, Mason McCormick from the back-to-back FCS national champion, South Dakota state Jackrabbits, you know, was one of the best offensive linemen in the game period and was, was anointed as such by the coaching staff. So plenty of those guys to find, even if you go outside of day one. Uh, okay. So I, I think, uh, and then just lastly, to bring the 49ers into focus here a little bit, you know, outside of the Trey Lance trade, uh, they've done a pretty good job building some real high caliber players through the draft, right? And and even outside of day one too, where, where they've had some good ones there, but the Debo Samuels uh, of the world, you know, even going all the way back to George Kittle. But once you feel like you have a grip on a championship caliber roster, you go off the top ropes to try to make that roster sing with a trade for a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who's come in now this year in a full season with the Niners and led the league in rushing uh, in over 2000 scrimmage yards. So I, I don't, I don't know, you know, it, that that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to be in a position to do that, to help your team. And, you know, that's something that this draft, you know, might really provide for the Raiders to continue to build towards that. Yeah. Like, I mean, look, it's, it's about doing whatever you need to do to, to fortify your your roster, yeah. you talk about the the Niners being willing to use trade vehicles and expand draft capital and give off draft capital to get what they need. Um, look, that's that's kind of like the thing. The best teams maybe draft and develop teams, but they're willing to use other vehicles, free agency and sure. the trade machine to, to augment their roster. Yeah, and so when you have, and that's why I really the smart pairing of an experienced general manager with a first-time head coach exactly. is wise because now you think about Tom Telesco and the many things that he's been involved in in terms of transactions during his time in the league is being able to assess where are, are the strengths and weaknesses, not only of the draft, but of free agency and what's the best plan 
to attack it? Do we need an experienced player that can play well right away? Do we have enough time to wait on the younger player to develop? Well, now when you have all those things uh, at your disposal, you can make these decisions that put the team in the best position to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs and the rest of the top teams in the AFC next season. Great point. And there it is. Episode two, Raiders NFL Draft Podcast, now in the books. Appreciate you guys uh, here who have an affinity for the silver and black like we do for joining us here and affinity for the draft uh, because we're only getting revved up here and especially will come into focus once Super Bowl Sunday is in the rear view. On that note, uh, we certainly hope uh, all of Raider Nation who's taken in the game from Las Vegas and inside Allegiant Stadium stay safe. Enjoy it. Uh, enjoy the festivities. Enjoy Las Vegas again being in the spotlight and the Raiders' beautiful home being that shining star uh, for the NFL on this Super Bowl weekend. So for Bucky Brooks, I am Rhett Lewis. Thanks to our hardworking crew behind the scenes uh, here uh, as part of the Raiders Podcast Network. We appreciate you guys and we'll be back with you next week for another episode of the Raiders NFL Draft Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Raiders NFL Draft Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Raiders Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts.